Back in the uh, 1870s, there was uh, a family with husband and wife and three young daughters carving out a living in Wisconsin. They were out on the edge of the woods, and uh, there's a book written about it. Uh, Some of you are familiar with Little House on the Prairie. The very first book in the series is titled Little House in the Big Woods, and uh, it's a great book, as is the next book, uh, Farmer Boy, uh, but it talks about life back uh, in the frontier and uh, the way um, men and women did their work and uh, how they provided for their family. It's really, really a great book. Jake and I are reading it right now and we're having a lot of fun with it. One of the, the chapters is simply titled Sundays, and it describes life back for them on a typical Sunday, and it describes them going to church and how uh, when they gathered with the church, um, they, uh, as children, they had to sit perfectly still. Uh, if their feet didn't touch the ground, they weren't allowed to swing their feet even under the pew. They had to keep their head perfectly still and facing forward. They couldn't count the number of panels on the stained glass or the number of planks on the ceiling, which is what I would have done as a child. They did do. They had to be perfectly still. And they'd get home after church on Sunday mornings uh, or Sunday afternoons. They um, would have to sit quietly. They couldn't really play. They could look and hold their dolls, these three uh, sisters, but they couldn't make clothes for the dolls. They had to be very, very still and not do a whole lot. And uh, one day, Laura Ingalls uh, got a little anxious and started playing with the doll. And her dad certainly told her, go sit back down. And she goes over and folds her arms. She says, I hate Sundays. And he goes and scoops her up gently and sets her on her lap and calls the, her other uh, sister, her older sister over and says, I want to tell you a story about your grandpa. And so he goes on to tell a story. He says, you think you got bad. <laughs> and he tells a story about their grandpa and how um, grandpa was the youngest of three boys in their family on Sunday mornings. Um, it was uh, the same deal. They would go to church in similar ways, and they would come home, and they had to sit on a bench and do their, their uh, uh, catechism books, and, um, and uh, they, they weren't allowed to do anything. They had been working together as the three brothers on a sled, a snow sled, and they almost had it finished. And on a Saturday, they thought, normally they get two hours to play on Saturday. Um, uh, and this, kids, if you're listening, this was long before television long before iPhones or iPads or anything else. And so uh, one Saturday, they thought they were going to finish the sled and be able to play with it on Saturday. But their dad asked them to go and do extra work out in the woods with him. And so it it left them just enough time to finish the sled on Saturday, but they didn't have any time to play with it. The sun went down and it was bedtime. And you know what happens the next day? It came on Sunday. Nothing. So they were really bummed. So Sunday comes around, they go to church, they come at home, they're sitting at home, and they're doing their books, they're watching their dad, he's reading his, whatever he's reading, and suddenly they, they hear snoring. And they look up, and the older brother looks at the, the middle brother, and he kind of does this, and one by one they tiptoe out of the house. And they go behind the shed, and they grab the sled. And outside in front of their house, they have a big deal. And they thought, we'll just go out, we'll ride the sled once. Just once, Dad'll never know. We'll come sneak back in. All will be okay. Do you know the story? Have you ever heard the story? It's great. Um, so they get on the sled and they, they hike it up up to the top of the hill. And they get on. They start going. They're picking up speed. They don't have a lot of control. There's no braking mechanism. And all of a sudden, out of the woods, toodles, toddles. What's the word? Walks. Somehow, what, whatever the word is. Here comes a little black pig. 
coming out of the woods, and it sits right in their pathway. They can hardly turn. All of a sudden, they hit the pig, and it's now sitting at the front of the sled in front of the oldest brothers that are going down the hill. And it's not quiet. It's going, wee, wee, wee. And as they come around the bend, guess who they see on the front porch? Dad. He just looks at them. He turns around and walks back in the house. Jake and I are like, what's going to happen? And so um, they, they go and they put the sled away and they slink back in the house. And Dad doesn't say a word until later, right about bedtime, it describes, <laughs> describes the dad taking the three boys out to the woodshed. <laughs> I had to explain to Jake where the woodshed was. So, if you don't know what a woodshed is, let me know later. That's where they went and got their spankings. Um, we are so glad, I am at least, that in our church um, today, that uh, we are not so focused on children being completely silent. I'm so glad to be part of a church that welcomes wiggles once in a while. And I'm so glad that we aren't part of a church that uh, demands utter silence. Because those really aren't the goals of what it means to be a church and parents who raise up children. It's not just about teaching children to be quiet or to behave even. The task that God has given Christian parents and Christian adults in the church is to help children learn to see and to hear and to learn to love and trust God. And that's part of what the command we are given, the instruction we're given in Psalm 78 Psalm 78. Open your Bibles, would you, to that Psalm, number 7-8. As a church and as individual families, part of our calling is to look and to help, is to us to look ahead at what our children might become, what their children might become, and to lay a pathway as best we can for future generations to be spiritually trained and nurtured in the Lord, to include them in the faith community as participants. I'm so glad on February 10th that our youth are going to help lead our service when it comes. And uh, that's going to be a great day for us. But we get to teach and encourage younger lives in their journey of faith. Now, Psalm 78 has 72 verses. We don't have time to read them all today. But I do want to just center our thinking with the first eight. Psalm 78, we're going to begin with verse 8. Oh, my people... Hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, what we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which He commanded our forefathers to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they, in turn, would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget His deeds, but would keep His commands. They would not be like their forefathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to Him. Father, we pray in these moments that we have remaining today that your spirit would be our guide, that our ears would be opened, that our hearts would be softened, and that we would be eager 
and prepared to respond as you would lead us now. And we pray it in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. Well, the rest of the 72 verses in this great psalm describe some of the wonders of God. It describes God delivering the Hebrew people out of captivity in Egypt. It describes Him providing food and water for them before they came to a land of their own. And then it describes them placing them in a a place that was eventually their own and ultimately peace. It describes God as giving them guidelines and instructions to help them live healthy and joyful lives. But the psalm goes on, as, as you were to read it this week, I encourage you to do so. It, it, it describes them, instead of being people who trust God, they're people who tested God. They, they tested Him instead. Three times in this psalm, it describes the different ways that they stretched their relationship with God. And many times to the brink and to the breaking point. It, it describes them, the first one is in self-centeredness. Self-centeredness. And self-centeredness is the thing that we still struggle with at times in our lives. I know that I do. That instead of asking, what is it that God wants done? I begin instead by saying, this is what I want. And it totally turns the relationship with God around. Rather than seeking God's desires, which are the best desires for my life and the world, I, I sometimes, and they like more, and I'll fold my arms, and I'll puff out my lips, and I'll say this... This is what I want. Instead of asking God, what is, it, what is it that you desire for me? Because what you desire for me and for this church and for my family is far better than what I think could be a blessing to my family. Because God, you know the end all the way from the very beginning and you know what I need. You know the challenges I need to help strengthen and shape my life. You know what my children need, so would you guide me? I'm not going to choose self-centeredness. But that was a moment this psalm describes the people testing God. There's another one. It describes amnesia, where they tended to be forgetful people. A people who tended to forget All of the ways that God had worked for them. They forgot the ways that God in power and strength delivered them. And we can do the same thing. If you've walked with the Lord for many years, maybe decades, you might, it's easy to forget and not appreciate to the extent perhaps you once did about how God swept into your life maybe and rescued you, delivered you. Remembering the moment you you understood your sinful state before Him and and knowing the joy of a forgiven life and the power that Jesus still has over sin in your life if you allow Him to. You see, we too quickly can forget how God rescues and how He tenderly cares for us. This was part of the complaint against the Hebrew people in this psalm. was one of amnesia. They tended to forget. And a third way that they tested their relationship with God was through idolatry. Allowing something other than God to be at the heart of their life. Allowing something other than God to be at the centerpiece of their life. Trusting in other things before trusting in God. And we can do the same thing. We can trust in money before we trust in God. We can trust that if I just get this next job, that that's where I put my trust 
and my hope for my future instead of trusting God. I can trust more in a particular relationship that it will somehow provide what I need or a particular leader for a country, it will provide what we need more than I will trust in God. And so God invites us to think differently about our lives before Him. Not these three ways of testing Him, but He invites us to think about what it is to live faithfully before Him so that we can train up our children. We can train up the younger lives around us in a community of faith so that they then can live a life of joy and fullness in Christ. There are four things I just want to run through with you real quickly of how I think this works based out of this psalm. Number one is how do we help kids set their hope in God? Let's look at verse 7 together. In verse 7 it says, This is the reason. This is the reason we are not to be people who forget. This is the reason we are not to be people who put other things as primary in my life before God. These are the reasons. This is the reason in verse 7. It's so that... That the children who come up after us, that they would put their trust in God. That they would put their trust in God. The English Standard Version translates this this way. says that they would put their hope in God. Another translation says that they would put their confidence in God. Three different ways in English to, to describe this term used in Hebrew. To put their trust in God. To put their confidence in God. In God, to really hope and allow their hope to be placed in God. You see, these are all terms that are future focused. These are all about what is to come down the road. Things that I cannot see clearly for myself. But God can. And we are called to be people who put our trust in God, who put our futures, our hope's future in God, and that we will allow Him to lead us as we go. So here. Here's what we are able to do. We are able to share our personal growth with our children and with the young lives around us. We are called to be people who share what we are learning and to share the things and ways that we are growing in the Lord with those lives. Maybe they're children in your home. Maybe they're students in the youth group that you help teach. Maybe, maybe they're young lives that move up and down the hallways of this church and in your conversation with other adults. You're demonstrating to this young life, this is how a Christian talks. These are the things a Christian talks about. This is how we share life together. Maybe they're sitting and you host a small group in your home and they sit from another room and occasionally they hear things that are happening in the conversation that goes on. But you can only give... You can only give someone else, you can only give another young life, you can only give them what you're in the process of learning yourself. Said another way, you cannot give somebody what you do not have. And so if you and I are not growing in our relationship with the Lord, who cares? Who cares what the children are learning? If you and I cannot be faithful before the Lord, what are our children learning? Because they're watching before they're listening. Always. And they want to see the two realities mesh up together. What they hear from your lips and what they see in your life, young lives, they have an, uh, they have an amazing uh, monitor for authenticity. They know when adults are being fake. They need you and me to live lives that are authentic before the Lord 
so that we can have a generation that comes behind us that are faithful to the Lord. And they will only learn to be faithful to the Lord as you and I walk faithfully with the Lord. So, these words, hope, trust, and confidence are future-focused words. So if you're next week or next month or next year, there are hard times on the horizon that you aren't even aware of right now. Will you walk through those moments with confidence in God? Will you choose to walk putting your trust in God even if you can't see what the resolution is going to be? Will you walk, if hard times are coming, trusting and confidently placing your hope in the Lord even though you don't know the answer or the solution yet? Will you trust God because the lives around you are watching? They're watching the way you handle situations that are difficult often more than they're listening. Is your confidence in God... I once spoke to a man, he called me up and he told me he and his wife were going to be divorcing. And he described, this years ago, he described, uh, not part of this church, he described um, how his wife had been unfaithful to him. And we wept together on the phone. And the very next words out of his mouth still resonate so deeply in me. Because there were words that reminded me that no matter how difficult his life was in this moment, it was shambles. His life was crumbling literally around him. He said in the words of Job, even if God slay me, I will serve him still. And that so deeply impressed me. Not not that I was impressed with him, but it, it imprinted upon me what it is to be a person, no matter what the circumstances are in my life, of putting my hope in God's future of putting my confidence in God and putting my trust, even now in things maybe that are the most bitter and painful, I'll put my trust in God for His future. The people of Israel were learning to do that. You and I are called to do that. Your kids, our kids, the kids of this church are watching the way we navigate through difficult times. What about when good times come? When good times come, when the stock market is soaring, when you're, the, um, the equity in your home is ballooning, when you've gotten a pay raise at work, when you maybe are starting a new relationship with that special someone, you, your kids are successful, will, will you thank, thank God regularly for those moments of life? Can you brag on God for what He's doing and boast in the Lord Your kids are watching. The kids of this church are watching. Because it can be tempting when things are good to kind of treat our relationship with God a little bit like a rain jacket you might have pulled out of the closet this morning. The weather's bad, so I'm putting a rain jacket on to stay dry. And when I get home, when the rain goes away, I take my rain jacket off and I put it in the closet because I don't need it anymore because the sun's come back out. Sometimes we can be like that in our lives with the Lord. There are times when things were in a really good season and we don't have maybe a felt need for God. And we kind of wait. We're sort of like an oscillating fan. We sort of turn this way away from God because we don't sense a need for Him right now. But when the rain clouds start forming and the challenges are coming, then I'm turning back. Oh, time to get my raincoat out. I need to redo my relationship with the Lord. That's not the kind of relationship God desires for us. 
He deeply desires a personal daily relationship that He would walk with you through all things. Do you trust in the Lord? Do you put your hope in the Lord? Is your confidence in God's future? So, this is... These are some of the ways that we share our personal growth. It's not being afraid. If you have children in your home, even now, it's not being afraid of sharing with them. You know, I'm struggling with this. I, 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 my job's been eliminated. I don't know right now how God is going to provide. But I'm going to pray. Let's pray together that we would see God's provision in our lives. Whatever it is, you're sharing how you're growing. And sometimes you're sharing even where you are struggling the most. Because your kids, they know when you're being authentic and real with them. A second way that we help our children put their hope in the Lord is by remembering things with them. Remembering things with them. We already heard that one of the problems for the Israelites and our lives too was forgetfulness and amnesia. This is why in Holocaust museums and monuments around the world, you'll often see the phrase, never forget, never again. So that we as a people can remember well together. It's why we have holidays. It's why we have July 4th. It's to remind us about independence. It's to remind us about freedom. It's to remind us about this country's birth. And and it's to remind us that freedom comes with sacrifice and all sorts of other things. It's why tomorrow there's Martin Luther King Jr. Day to remind us about racial justice and needs in our country that are still strong. In, in parts of the world, in parts of our country, it's to remind us about certain things that are important and they do, should not be forgotten. In your home, you celebrate birthdays, don't you? And anniversaries, it's to mark the significant moments and to remember what God is doing. Parents, you have the opportunity to remember with your children the things of God by establishing regularities in your life with your kids Regularities of praying with them and reading the Bible with them and and encouraging them to prioritize things in their life that are most important. But it's remembering with them. It's sharing, sharing how you are growing in your life and in your faith. And it's learning to share with your kids and to remember with them. Number three out of four. There's only four. We're almost done. You okay? Are we okay? All right. Just lie to me if you're not. It's okay. You can't lie in church. Quit saying that, Bryce. Kids are crockpots instead of microwaves. Kids are crockpots instead of microwaves. Put some in the microwave you expect it to be done quickly or slowly. Quickly, right? Put some in the crockpot. You want it to pull it out in five minutes? No, maybe five hours is more like it, right? The spiritual development of a child is, is, is a long process. It takes a long time for a young life to find its fulfillment and maturity. Spiritually, it's so true as well. It's not just the bone growth or uh, their emotional maturity, but their spiritual maturity also takes time. And that's why parents and other adults in a church, it requires patience. And it requires grace when they stumble and fall. It requires uh, the, the gentle touch and continued encouragement for them on their journey. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. This is part of our role as adults is to cheer them on. Not to blast them when they mess it up, but say, yeah, that was tough. And there are consequences when, when you do silly things. I know what that's like in my life. Here's how I've experienced those as well. But with God's grace and His mercy, He's helped me move forward. 
And I also, as a more mature follower of Jesus, I want to help you move forward. Kids are crockpots are not microwaves. It's not, they're not, they're not going to learn one spiritual lesson and poof! There's some sage spiritually. It takes time, and the lessons often are that old expression, two steps forward, one step back. It's a slow process, but it's worth hanging on to it. Moses had a developmental process before he ever stepped foot in front of Pharaoh. There was a process on the backside of the mountain. And go back and read where God worked with Moses. And watch, before God ever sent him to Pharaoh... He did some training and preparation on the backside of the mountain. He did the same with David. Before David ever went to face down Goliath, David was a shepherd. And when he heard Goliath taunting the Israelites, you know what he said? He said, I've been out with the sheep. I've not been a soldier. But I've killed the lion and I've killed the bear to protect the sheep because God has shown me strength that He can provide in my life. I'm not afraid of this Philistine. And so he goes, because he'd been trained before, he'd been prepared for the work that was ahead. So our younger lives need time to develop. They need our patience and our grace and our mercy and our encouragement to keep going, to keep going. And finally, turn to the very last verse of Psalm 78. In verse 72, it gives us a couple of qualities that it points us toward David. David, of course, he's held up here as the exemplar of faithfulness. We know David wasn't perfect, right? He wasn't perfect. He had some pretty bad mess-ups in his life. But he's still described as the one who is after God's very own heart. And here he's described with two excellent qualities. If we're saying, well, what, what concrete things are we to be aiming at with our children? Here's a couple. And David shepherded the people with integrity of heart and with skillful hands. With integrity of heart and with skillful hands. A heart that's full of integrity. A heart that's full of integrity. That, that is allowing God to come into your inner life and to bring order to it. It's allowing God to arrange the furniture of your inner life. It's allowing God to say, this is what's important. It's allowing God to say, this is what is good. It's allowing God to say, this is what is healthy and wholesome. And when we think otherwise, it's allowing God to shape our inner world so that what I say is what I also do over time. That there is integrity of who I am. Not hypocrisy, but integrity. And so we allow God to shape our inner world so that more and more the personality of Jesus takes root in me. The things that are important to God are important to me. The things that are abhorrent to God become distasteful to me. And I learn to be shaped around Him. Not assuming that what I like is what God likes. We can't do that. You just can't. And so it's allowing my heart to be one of integrity and then allowing the systems to shape what I can do, my capacities. It's about character in the life of our young lives so that then they have the competence to go out. The two have to come together, character that develops inwardly with the person of Christ so that it matches and fuels their competence in their work life and in their going out into the world life. 
The two have to come together. Integrity of heart and skillful hands. Boy, if there's a goal for parenting, that may just be it. God, help me as a parent. Help me as a parent to teach my kids to let you order their inner world. And then I will help as I can to guide their competence and their skillful use of their hands in whatever way that you're leading and directing them. We are called to be people as adults, as God is shaping us, that we help our young lives learn to trust God, learn to be confident in God, learn to uh, put their trust and hope in Him. Father, we pray that we would be able to do this well. And uh, Lord, this isn't about failings. This is about what can be in our future. It's about remembering the past so that we can step forward confidently in you in our future. And so wherever we are as parents or grandparents today, we're not done. Our story, your story, is still being written and active. We still have a role in the lives of the church. We, We still get to model of what Christ-like behavior is in front of younger lives. There are still many opportunities. If you would stir us to help us engage in maybe a, a teaching ministry to children for a season and help us to be open and willing to do that. So God, help us, guide us, we pray. We want to be people who, as we walk with you that we can help point the way to you for our younger lives, that they may see you and hear you and desire to follow after you. We want their hope and their confidence and their trust to be placed in you. May it be so. I can't imagine. Actually, I can. I can imagine what a world would be shaped if the children coming out of this church and thousands and thousands of other churches were shaped like David with a heart of integrity and skillful hands learning to trust you, be confident in your future, learning to uh, put their hope in you. Oh, what a world this would be. How different it would be in 10 years and 20 years and 30 years when they are in their full adult life. Thank you for the responsibility. Thank you for the joy. And thank you for the work you're doing in our lives so that we can help the next generation. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.